Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking about strength, power, and speed to get faster on our bicycles. Now, this is episode 10 of this podcast. I'm so excited to have hit episode 10. It seems like a project I've started on a whim, on a walk alongside the riverside. And yeah, the feedback I got from all of you has been fantastic. I'm really encouraged by that. I'm really glad that people are enjoying this. And I'm really happy to keep talking to you and, and, and keep providing useful insight. So today's podcasting is about strength, power, and speed in that order. Let's get started. Now, these are three words that we have in bold type on the back wall of our gym here. And it's not just three words that look really cool. It's actually a philosophy that I think really breaks down the answer to how should I train? How do I get faster? What's the best way to you know, improve my time on the bike. And if I was to still that down, these three words are probably what would come out of that. And, but it is missing two words, but I'll get into that in a second. And that is the idea that if you want to go faster on a bicycle, there are two ways to do it. One, aerodynamics. If you're going fast enough, aerodynamics are going to affect it. And two is to push harder on the pedals. That's it. If you can push on the pedals harder, you'll go faster. You'll turn a bigger gear <laughs> and your bicycle move forward faster. It's simple as that. Um, which is why strength becomes the first word in, in, in that equation because in order to push on the, hard, the pedals harder, you need to produce more force and that has to come from a stronger muscle. It's pretty simple. Now, let's start with that idea that I'm missing a couple of words because before we can just start talking about strength, we need to go back a step. And the missing word is is missing because I can never decide what it should be and it doesn't sound anywhere near as cool. But it's got to be something around mobility, conditioning, or functional, and I hate all three of those words. They're bounded around by the fitness industry and unless you are a fitness professional, they're pretty meaningless. They don't really describe anything. It's, ah, oh, you can get, you get where I'm coming from. But the idea that fitness is more than just your speed on the bicycle. Fitness is a big umbrella term that covers your body's ability to actually function. And having a good range of movement is important because you can't even hope to do any strength training if you can't actually get into a squat position. If you can't have the, the mobility in your hips and your ankles or the stability in your knees to actually perform a good quality squat, then you can't do it with the barbell, and which means you can't put that weight on that barbell, which means that you can't add any resistance. So you have to make sure that you have a functioning body. And, and that takes time. Like, if you don't use it, you lose it. Motion is lotion. All those catchphrases, and they, they are important. And it is, it is something that we overlook as cyclists because we're so good at just getting on a bike. And I'm just as guilty of this. We go, our posture goes, you know, we get that hunchback, our hip mobility goes, our hip flexors start to tighten up. And all of a sudden we stand in front of a barbell and like, we barely move. You know, so what chance have we got of even trying to do strength training if our mobility 
isn't sufficient. So, right, well, I've labored that point enough. So, mobility, conditioning, whatever you want to call it, important. Strength training, therefore, this is about lifting heavy weights on low repetitions in a well-controlled environment with really, really good technique. We do not want to be injured for our sport. That's the important thing. We're not trying to do Olympic lifting. We are just trying to do good quality compound movements that are going to increase the force production of our muscles. It needs a bit of technique, but we do not need to be doing clean and jerks and big dynamic movements like you see on the Olympic lifting on the TV during the Olympics or whatever. We just need to be doing the the simple movements of deadlift, just picking a barbell off the ground, a squat, a barbell on your back, taking it to a squat position, coming back up, bench press, pushing it away from, from your chest, a press up, a chin up. You know, these are such famous exercises that almost everybody knows them and because they use a massive range of our muscles under the right conditions. And they don't take an awful lot of skill to execute with a fairly heavy weight on. It takes a bit of skill, don't get me wrong, uh, especially as you start lifting heavier. But generally speaking, you can pick up those techniques fairly easily. Now, when we talk about high weight and low repetitions, we need to put our body under some strain the same way as we would as we were riding a bike. If we want to get faster, we've got to push it a bit. And doing 100 body weight squats isn't doing that. Your legs might be sore, but in terms of building strength, that isn't doing anything that you wouldn't do on a bike by riding up a hill. What we need to be doing is really overloading that by putting something heavy that we actually really need to strain against. And we talked about this in the last podcast about the anabolic, catabolic, um, catabolic producing energy, anabolic being the repair and building back process. So we actually need to do a little bit of damage to our muscles in order for it to grow back stronger, but minimum effective dose. We don't want to be doing so much damage that we're injured. We just want to just do little micro tears here and there to actually make our body build back a stronger muscle. That's the whole point of going um, heavier weight at lower repetitions. So we just find that nice sweet spot. Okay, we're going to come on to that more in another podcast, I think, but Following on from that, once we've got this ability to actually produce force and push on the pedals harder, the next obvious step is to now add power. Power is force times velocity, which means that we need to up the tempo of this force production. And we do that by lowering the weight, give our body a better chance. We don't want to get injured because now we're going to increase our heart rate and as we do that, our brain goes a bit fuzzy and we lose our concentration. And, you know, if we're not holding that great form and technique, but also we want to be doing some more dynamic movements. And I really love kettlebells and turbo trainers for this because with a kettlebell, you've got something that's quite dynamic. It's swinging through the air and your core stability, your balance, your proprioception has to control it. And, and it takes a good, powerful, ferocious movement to really swing a kettlebell and control it, um, which translates so well to a bike. And then on, on the turbo trainer, this is where we do our high power intervals with 
fairly, fairly short, almost max power and lots and lots of rest in between because we're now using that complex compound movements to really push our power up. Now, I like doing this on simple activities. If you try and do something that's too hard, you open yourself up to injuries. You know, I don't like it when you see crossfit type activities when they're trying to get you to lift the barbell above your head while you've just been out for a kilometer long run or been doing something on the rowing machine and your heart rate's all high and someone's screaming and shouting at you to go, go, go. And you know, that's, that's when injuries happen. When you've got something heavy in your hands, if you're low heart rate, absolutely 100% focused on what you're doing. When you need to get your heart rate high, it should be a really simple, safe activity because you're training something different. Which is why once you've learned how to swing a kettlebell or you've learned how to do really high power intervals on a turbo trainer, and I do mean learn because it is a skill, then that's where we get our fourth time velocity power and we can build that peak power. Now, you can see where I'm going with this, I think. We've got a good quality mobile body that is producing force, it's producing force with speed, you know, and now we can transfer that to the bike and make our bike go faster with some speed. And this is where we really start to transition away from using weights and start to use the turbo trainer or hill reps or the bike outside where we can very carefully control how much time we are spending at a particular power zone to make sure that we're doing sport-specific gains in that power zone that's relevant to us. It might be FTP, it might be VO2 max, it might be three-minute critical power. Whatever it is, we need to start working on that. And a coach or an artificial intelligence program like Exert or Trainer Road will guide you through what type of cyclist you're trying to become and set workouts that are going to start progressively building you towards performing in that in that power range and therefore speed. And now the final element of this, the word that's really missing from the back wall of our gym is probably the word endurance. And this is where that argument between catabolic and anabolic type of training comes in. So up until now, the strength and the power have been fairly anabolic type of activities that we bring damaging muscles to build back stronger, we're building back stronger bone density, all that sort of thing. And now we need the actual energy to fuel those stronger, more powerful muscles. And this is where our zone two base training, our aerobic capacity, our fat max, whatever you want to call it, the catabolic side of our metabolism, which is all about providing ATP to those muscles. Now we have a stronger muscle, it will demand more ATP, which in turn will then tell your catabolic metabolism to actually start producing more as well. So it's a chicken and egg thing, but generally speaking, you train the two together and you'll adapt, which is where the 80-20 rule kind of comes in. Now, I want to start thinking about when we might actually do this because you don't do it all all the time. And that 80-20 that we just talked about in terms of your polarized training, remember that strength replaces cycling, not an addition to. So if you train 10 hours a week and two hours of those are high intensity, then that high intensity should be strength training. You know, and you still keep your 80%-ish. Uh, it's pretty hard to do a full 80-20, but 
as a rough guide. Uh, the way I like to think about this is to split our year down into four uh, slices, if you like, into quarters. Have a post-season, an off-season, a pre-season, and your actual season. Now, I'm going to start with the post-season, because <laughs> I think this has got to start somewhere, and this makes sense to me. The post-season happens as soon as you finished your last big event. You know, you've hit your goal for the season, you've done that last thing, and it, it's easy to go, well, I've hit peak fitness, I'm really good, I'm going to enter another thing. And all of a sudden, your season doesn't come to an end until you just fall off the wagon. So you've had your goal, it's probably somewhere, if you're in the UK, September-ish, let's say, almost at the end of the summer, and it's, it's now it's chill time. It's now it's time to go, yes, brilliant, just open a beer and start just reflecting on the season that was, celebrating your success and, yeah, just letting your body and your mind just come down. You've been on a, you know, quite a heightened level of, of fitness and quite a level, heightened level of cognitive capacity in terms of preparing for racing, racing or eventing or whatever it is and packing and moving and having a really energetic time. It's just time to just let everything settle down and reflect. Now, this postseason is where that mobility and the start of your strength training is important. This is where you start really getting into things like yoga and Pilates and go and see a physio or a sports massage and start that repair process. And, you know, mobility is going to start repairing all the things that you haven't noticed yet because you've been on adrenaline high from the season, uh, just creeping in. So this is mobility season. And a little bit of strength. This is a time to get behind a barbell and just start reminding yourself of the technique and the drills, you know, where am I at, you know, what feels heavy, what feels light, that sort of thing. And also just doing sport for fun. You know, this is, you know, if you want to go and play a bit of rugby or whatever it is that you might do, just this is the time to just have some fun. Okay, off season. <laughs> this is probably normally coming up to Christmas, that Christmassy time, if you're in this sort of uh, around the UK and this is where we really start thinking pretty much focused on strength is, you know, and your endurance riding. So outside riding is probably cold. You're going to dress up really warm. Go and enjoy whatever miles you can get in on the bike. You know, you don't really, really shouldn't be doing anything too strenuous. Anything strenuous should be around becoming stronger. And barbell type work, kettlebell type work is of utmost importance. This part of the season. This is where um, I actually did a bit of YouTube video about this a little while ago about how strong should a cyclist be. You know, where's the benchmark? What's the limit? Um, you know, at the end of this off season, how strong should you be? Knowing that as you go into the season, you're going to stop doing your strength training. It, it will decline because of that. So, where's our goal? Take a look at that YouTube video. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Okay, pre-season then. So this is normally uh, sort of January, February time when we're starting to look ahead at the season. We've probably got some goals, probably entered a few races, got an idea of what it is that we're trying to train for, probably had a good chat and we've worked out how fast do I need to go, what are the demands of that particular event I'm training for. And we've got some specificity goals in mind. 
And this is where we start really thinking about power and speed. This is where we go, start toning down what we do with the barbells, not looking for those strength gains so much anymore, but now starting to add power, you know, by using things like kettlebells and the turbo trainers. This is where we start looking for those power gains. And you should start seeing things like breakthroughs and FTP gains and that sort of thing. This is that time when we build. If you go too early, you can't really sustain it for too, too long, like two to three months in this pre-season, just seeing those gains. You know, and things like the artificial intelligence software from Exer and Trainer Road would be a really good guide as to taking the type of cyclist you are now and the type of cyclist you want to become and having a good progressive plan that takes you there or chat to a coach. Okay, and that brings on to the actual season then. And this is where, to be honest, most of your intensity is going to be done actually doing, you know, whether it's outriding a slightly more energetic ride with friends or whether it's actually entering races, probably not going to struggle to do your 20% of hard activity. You're probably going to struggle more to get your recovery working and your endurance working. So during this season, I do very little strength training, maybe every now and then. I've not got something on the horizon. Grab a barbell just to remind myself of the technique or swing a kettlebell every now and then just to you know keep, keep everything functioning. But really, this is about looking after yourself, recovery, and actually doing it. And you should be putting as much effort and thought into your recovery process as you are into your racing because the quicker you can recover, the more you can train, right? So it's, it, it's important. Okay. I think we've covered that. So, so far we've covered mobility, strength, power, speed, endurance, post-season, off-season, pre-season, and season. I am going to, for the last few minutes of this podcast, have a little go at the big question of how you can log your strength training now, if you're a self-coached athlete, you're probably using um, some sort of app like Trainer Road or Excerpt um, or Training Peaks. Now, the stuff you find in Zwift, they're just workouts. They're just only working on one small part of your fitness. So it's a good place to start, but I think most people who are serious about their fitness transition to something a bit more elaborate fairly quickly. And in these apps, you're going to come across the idea of the performance management chart and this is trying to help an athlete keep their fitness building on a sustainable progressive rate but also keeping an eye on the residual fatigue buildup and trying to predict the freshness or form that an athlete might feel ready for their event so to break it down pretty simply what you want to do is arrive on the start line of your event as fit as possible but also as fresh and ready to go as possible. And you know that as you train, you also get tired, so you need some recovery. And these bits of software really help you manage that. Now, adding strength training to these apps has always been quite controversial, so I'm going to be careful how I phrase the next few words. Fundamentally, these are based on pretty... Pretty fundamental science, you know, the idea that a joule is one joule, you know, it was one watt for one second in terms of energy. Uh, one watt is force times angular velocity. 
and we can fairly accurately model out things like strain scores and things like FTPs and and we talked about this in the previous podcast, so I don't want to label that point, but these bits of software have only been modelled on that idea. And when we start talking about anabolic training, such as strength training, they they don't they're not designed to work like that. They haven't been peer reviewed, they haven't been tested, there's no real science backing it up. So the the, the sort of the standard line from the designers of these pieces of software is don't 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 try and account for your strength training in pieces of software designed to track fitness for cyclists using power meters and heart rate monitors. It's not not being designed like that. It's not accurate. Counter to that argument, there's a coach like myself and I think many other coaches, not all of them will agree with me, but I think a lot will, is that the whole point of these bits of software is that we keep a diary and a track of the build-up of fatigue and stress and we have some way of predicting form ready to perform on the bike and if we're not logging our strength training then we lose the accuracy anyway because we're adding another activity which is undeniably important but we're not tracking it so I think I think we need to I would just go a little bit further and say there is also a strong psychologically useful element in logging your performance knowing that you are still making gains in your fitness even though it might not be bike specific at that time and that's that's really powerful and not to be not to be ignored so my my opinion is yes i think we should be logging and tracking your off the bike activity and how we do that is open up to so much interpretation um but this is how how I would do it. And that is for something that was mobility type orientated. So Pilates class or a yoga class, heart rate is generally low. In fact, actually, you could probably build, put into this like what I'd call physiotherapy type strength, you know, like the rubber bands and those really isolated movements that a physiotherapy might, physiotherapist might give you. Uh, Generally speaking, heart rate is low, but it is really, really important. I think you should reward yourself with about 10 points of training stress for something like this, sort of regardless of how long you spent doing it. So if you spent 20 minutes doing some exercises that are going to help your mobility, 10 points. If you spent an hour doing yoga, it's still 10 points. point is we're not trying to account for a big fitness gain here. We're just trying to acknowledge the fact that something has occurred that might affect our fitness and I think it's definitely worth tracking because we also want to go back and look at when you were doing things and when you weren't doing things and get some sort of record okay after that actual strength training (laughs) now if you've ever worn a heart rate monitor during your strength training you'll know that your heart rate really doesn't go up very much at all and it's hard to get a TSS score from using a heart rate monitor because your muscles will be fairly sore and your ability to perform on a bike will be impacted because of that however the actual training stress score that you might be given from a heart rate monitor does not reflect those two things that's that interference effect that we've talked about previously now in an app like excerpt which is why i really love it it's got that 
freshness slider. So you can give yourself a relatively low training stress score or XFS and then compensate by adding an element of fatigue on the freshness slider. And that makes sense because that's where the artificial intelligence of the software will it won't give you a hard workout to do if your legs are sore from having done a strength workout. And that's essentially what we're trying to do. The worst thing that could happen is doing a, a really hard strength workout and then a really hard, let's say, VO2 max interval workout because they're going to interfere with each other. You won't be able to form, perform well at either one of those. You either do really well at your strength training and then don't perform in your VO2 training or if you switch them around you won't be able to perform in the strength training because you'll be tired from your VO2 max training. You get the idea. So that's why that's important. And then with a more powerful type of workout, let's say you've been done a really good quality kettlebell workout or done something like circuit training or boot camp or CrossFit, God forbid, and your heart rate has been high, you've been very glycolytic, then you, should, you can actually even... Your heart rate won't be anywhere near as high as it would do from doing a good hard interval session on a bike. It just doesn't work like that because sore muscles will stop you getting your heart rate up. So you will come to the point where you're trying to lift and because you've got, you know, lactic acid build up in, in a different kind of way, you just won't be able to get your heart rate up as high. So you can't really give it the same sort of training stress score as you would do a hard VO2 max workout on the bike. So I think for this week, it will give it a score of about 40 to maybe 50 if you're feeling generous. TSS per hour, which is about the same as you would do for an endurance workout on the bike. And again, adjust that fitness slider, knowing that the workout that is done will impact your ability to perform on the bike. So I would say keep the scores low, account for the time that you spent training, and if you are using excerpt, then adjust that freshness slider to account for that extra fatigue. And there we go. Fairly, fairly simple. I have to say that is open up to all sorts of discussion. Uh, that's just my opinion on it. Take, it. take it how you will. I'm going to do a YouTube video on that as well just to, uh, I guess, further demonstrate what I've been talking about in this. So maybe check out the YouTube channel as well and tell me what you think. Okay, I think that's it for now. We've, we've covered a lot of ground in today's podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole breaking down the idea of strength, power, speed in that order, how you might do that in your various parts of the season. And we've taken a little stab at how you might account for that in your fitness tracking apps. I hope that was useful for you. I'm um, really looking forward to the next one. Let me know if there's anything you particularly want to cover. Otherwise, I'm going to start looking a little bit more about how we use these artificial intelligence software to help us go into what is now rapidly becoming the actual season. We are into springtime here in the UK. We are into that big build phase where everything exciting is starting to happen. Um, FTPs are going up. Power numbers are going up. We're feeling strong. We're feeling powerful. We're looking forward to it. And this is a critical time where we could overtrain if we're not careful. And I think that is where we're going to go with our next podcast. Okay, thanks for listening. Take it easy.